These are the tribulations of Paulette. It's an ungodly hour on the Saturday morning, the weekend of my high school reunion, and I can't tell if the jackhammer that woke me up is coming from out or inside my head. This must be how the intruder sounds to an ant. Gray light streams into the extended stay hotel room. Four empty beer bottles and half a fifth of Stoli block my view of the clock radio. There's a watch on the shirtless man who sleeps next to me, and it says 7.30. I'm in bed with Ted, and I have a big head. Sounds kind of like a nursery rhyme, but there's nothing innocent about this tableau. Ted and I have finally spent the night together. Now he snores so loudly that he can't hear the construction clamor in full throttle right outside the window. But wait just a minute. Did we have sex? Good question. Bits and pieces of the past 12 hours begin to emerge, but I can't recall anything about a denouement. This might be an affair to remember. If only I could. I'd like to go back to sleep, but I feel like hell, and I really ought to get up and put some makeup on or something. This is the real downside of having an affair. I'd never consider a hangover resurrection to fix myself up for Dave. As I get out of bed, my big toe snags in the fly of Ted's boxer shorts, which commingle obscenely on the floor with my panties. Hmm. Evidence. It appears that at the very least, our underwear got busy. The hotel manager wasn't kidding yesterday when he said the place was under construction. Outside our fifth floor window, tool belt adorned blue jeans pace back and forth on scaffolding. For a minute, I consider opening the window to give the jackhammer guy a little push. Instead, I lower the shade and stumble toward the bathroom to assess what last night's bender did to my face. There's no good news coming from the bathroom mirror. A large, blind pimple has declared eminent domain on the tip of my nose. I make a hot compress of a face cloth, which does nothing more than bring the sucker to a head. I'm afraid to pop it because the poison inside could travel to my brain, rendering me useless for the remainder of the weekend and also the rest of my life. The $60 blow-dry I had yesterday was supposed to carry me through the weekend, but now my hair hangs in shapeless shanks around my face as if I went to bed with it wet. Exhausted, hungover, and racked with nerves, I brush my teeth and sit on the can, nauseated. I must be nuts. Why did I get so drunk at the pre-reunion cocktail party? I guess everyone was nervous to see everyone else, and booze was the great mollifier. I recall a lot of comments about my cleavage, and in fact several old friends, emboldened by cocktails, accused me of having had a boob job. These idiots were looking way too far south. I mean, come on, My forehead is a slab of marble. I have no discernible nasolabial folds. Back in the bathroom, I bend in half and try to rest my head on my knees. But it's no use. Vomit imminent. 
I rotate to the floor and grasp the steering wheel of the porcelain bus. In order to get things moving, I stick my fingers down my throat and imagine the big, hairy bums of hotel guests past that have hung down into this very void, spewing all manner of foulness. That does the trick. (coughs) Moments later, orange chunks of partially digested fish, laced with flecks of chipotle peppers and adobo sauce, have an encore. Ding, ding, ding! Hey, it's Swordfish Diablo, last night's entree. Somewhere in the hotel room, I can hear my cell phone ring. This'll wake up Ted. He'll see that I'm sick, and I'll be two for two with the ick factor. I brush my teeth and splash water on my face and pump Biogenol Extra Firm Styling Spray into the foul air. The cell phone, jackhammer noise, and my upset stomach has had no effect on Ted, who's still asleep. I find my phone and run back into the bathroom. Somebody has left me a voicemail message. I press call back without listening to it. You just called me, I say when a voice answers the phone. Uh, I'm trying to reach a Paulette King, a voice says. Oh, this is Paulette, I say. Yeah, uh, this is John from Rhode Island Tent Rental. Uh, We got a problem with your tent. My heart sinks. Don't tell me that you don't have a tent for us, I say. The Hibernian Hall only holds a hundred people, and I have two hundred coming to this reunion tonight. I need that tent for the overflow. Well, we had a little trouble with the tent that was meant for you. It collapsed from all the rain at another event last night. I'm going to have to refund your deposit. You've got to have another tent. I mean, come on, you're in the tent business. They're all committed for weddings. You were the last order. This is how it has to happen. I'm sorry, you got to call somebody else. I should have paid for the event insurance. Now I need to act fast. I call Arnold, the ancient Sanford-like custodian who lives with his dog in the back room at the Hibernian Hall. He rattles off the phone number of another company that he does business with, and I call them immediately. Good morning. This is Christian Party Rental. Your message is sacred to us, and we solemnly swear to call you back at our earliest convenience. Thank you for leaving your name and number at the tone. I leave an emergency message with the Christians, brush my teeth again, and put on some makeup. I swallow two Tylenols and a Xanax, and then I go in to wake up my boyfriend. As it turns out, Ted doesn't remember anything about the night before either, and he's sick too. I try to make light of the fact that our underwear is in a mutual full Nelson on the floor. He goes into the bathroom, and all I can hear for the next several minutes are groans and repeat flushes. Then, for ten minutes, nothing. My cell phone rings again. This time, it's the gal with the fake cactus, wondering when we're coming to pick it up. I tell her I'm on my way. Ted's face is pale when he comes out of the bathroom. But he's taken a shower and he seems like he's ready to go. In the interim, I have donned in-style outfit number three and curled my hair. 
With the exception of the jackhammer, it's awfully quiet in this hotel room. It seems that neither of us is ready to acknowledge what might have happened the night before. Although all signs point to a sex act having occurred, does it count if we can't remember it? 20 minutes later, in the pouring rain, we knock on the door of a tiny house in a suburb of Providence. The place smells like colonial candle of Cape Cod. We follow the very pleasant owner to her garage, where she produces the completely free of charge, seven foot tall paper mache cactus. And it's perfect. Ted picks it up to carry it to my car, and the owner says, Oh, I almost forgot. There's a floor lamp inside holding it up, and that has to stay here. I'm sorry. She pulls the floor lamp out of the bottom of the cactus. Now it's limp, and it flops onto Ted's shoulder. How are you going to support this thing, Ted asks. I'll figure something out, I say, and thank the woman profusely. As Ted turns to carry the saguaro down the woman's driveway to my car, an enormous gust of wind dumps 40 gallons of water out of a rain-drenched maple tree all over Ted and the cactus. I fumble to find my keys to unlock the car, but it's too late. Ted's bangs are plastered to his forehead. Green paint from the cactus runs down the back of his white shirt. The papier-mâché is quickly returning to the Providence Journal, its original form. Hurry up, for Christ's sake, Ted says. It turns out that only the top of the cactus is wet. We lay it across my back seat, then blot it with a beach towel that I found in my trunk. Ted, meanwhile, has green paint all over his face and hands. Then... Kermit and I drive back to our hometown and the Hibernian Hall. Several classmates are already inside, awaiting their orders to help decorate. I instruct the guys to get the huge rented helium tank out of my car and start blowing up balloons. I send the gals in to wallpaper the bathrooms with brown paper and sharpies to encourage graffiti during the party. Ted brings the wet cactus inside and lays it on the floor. The band shows up and begins its sound check. In the meantime, I hear the beep beep of a truck backing up. I go outside and I am so excited to see the Christian party rental truck backing up to the Hibernian Hall. Five guys hop out and begin to set up a big white tent. The driver approaches me with the paperwork. Uh, By the way, this is a COD, miss. We did the favor for Arnold here, so you won't be over capacity when the fire marshal shows up. Sign right here, and I'll need 800 bucks. $800? How unchristian. The tent that broke was only 500, and I don't have my refund yet. I ask Ted to front the tent with a credit card, and he balks. I can't do that without Ingrid's permission, he says. Then I come clean. Listen, Ted, I say. Dave and I paid for most of this reunion to keep the cost down for everyone else. And just before I left to come here, Dave was laid off from his job. Since you still have a job, can't you please help me with this? Kissing Ted may be great for my ego, but getting a crowbar into his wallet is yet another reason that I couldn't be married to him. 
Nevertheless, I've pinned him against a wall and he's pissed. His green-stained hand passes me his Platinum Amex card, which I hand over to the Christian party rental guy. 20 minutes later, I watch as the tent is finally raised. And then, to my utter disbelief, a 15-foot-tall Jesus on the cross is lowered like a Murphy bed from the peak of the tent. What the hell is that, Ted asks. Jesus, I say, and Ted doubles over. I guess this is a fixture with the Christian party tent. I don't want to insult anyone, but this reunion was supposed to be non-secular. As I ponder, if the bedspread from the extended stay hotel is large enough to cover both Jesus and the crucifix, someone opens the door to the Hibernian Hall and lets out about a hundred helium-filled balloons, which make their way quite colorfully to the top of the tent. It's all very festive until the balloons begin to gather around the crucifix. That doesn't look too good, Ted remarks. And then we hear the first pop. Uh-oh, our Murphy bed Jesus has turned into a Murphy's Law Jesus. Ted and I stare in awe. Note to self, while I'm out picking up a floor lamp for the cactus, I gotta find a do-rag for the crown of thorns. This is Eric Fontana. Dream away rainy day Catch the skies a train in gray Got it all except for you And you know what that's worth Day is long and I'm still here Sometimes I feel you're still so near They both pass eventually And I can hardly stand Next week, cold feet. Till then, ta-ta. I don't have to justify the